Hey, it's Aaron, food and veggie subscription service Oddbox is my next guest. I want to give you all a heads up that this was our first time recording Brand on Purpose away from the New York studio in London, and we ran into some technical difficulties in the very beginning. But to ensure you don't miss any of this valuable content, you'll hear me provide a voiceover at a few points in the episode. But stick around and listen in because I think it's a fantastic episode about a subscription box service whose mission is to reduce global food waste. Thanks, all. Broadcasting remotely this week from KWT Global's Charterhouse Square offices here in London, England, welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies. Founders of Oddbox, a company dedicated to reducing food waste with their subscription box service that delivers misshapen and surplus produce right to your door here in London. Oddbox lives up to the name by reselling weird fruits and vegetables to consumers as a way to fight the global food waste problem. With a mission of reinvesting the majority of its profits to further reduce food waste and 273 million liters of water since 2016, which somehow converts to gallons and pounds that I can't convert here on the fly. Today, Oddbox delivers over 25,000 boxes across London every month and hopes to continue broadening its reach and reducing food waste one delicious misshapen piece of produce at a time. Emily and Deepak, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Aaron, thank you for having us here. Delighted to be here today, Aaron. Emil and Deepak met his colleagues working at 3M in India several years ago before eventually moving to the UK. Their work relationship soon grew into a romantic partnership, and after they went on a trip to Morocco and saw all of the weird-looking fruits and vegetables on sale in the market. So they began to wonder where the odd-looking produce was in their own home. And after doing a bit of research, they learned that all the fruits and vegetables deemed to quote-unquote ugly or misshapen simply gets thrown away and contributes to the global growing food waste problem. Their interest pivoted from finances to fruits, and they launched Oddbox in 2016. Deepak and Emil won over growers and customers alike with their direct-to-farm box approach, selling fruits and vegetables that the farmer ordinarily would throw away or maybe even feed to animals. As we pick back up here, Emil's explaining to me about the grading of these fruits and vegetables and why they get tossed to begin with. There's a lot of grading which happens because an apple needs to be a specific size. So when we say misshapen or monkey, actually, it's mostly just too big, too small, some small skin markings mm. that people might not even notice. There's very little of really wonky produce. But what's happening is that there's also a lot of surplus because we as consumers want to have everything available all the time. Then there's a constant overproduction in the sector. Right. And that leads to more waste. It's just a vicious cycle. Yes. Right. So how much is wasted? I don't know if it's globally you have this number, but at least let's just say in England, how much weird or wonky or misshapen fruit and this is fruits and vegetables, right? Was yes. Just, okay. Right. So overall, it's, it's food. And it's even more in for fruit and veg because it's fresh. So yes. it's got a shorter shelf life. Right. But globally, around 30% of all the food produce is wasted. 30% yes. of all the food produce is wasted globally? Yes. And that's across the globe. So there's, it's for different reasons in developing countries where they don't have the refrigeration that we have. In developed countries, there's a lot more waste which happen, in fact, in our homes than happens in the manufacturing or kind of transportation process. But there's a lot of waste which also happens at farm level, so before it even reaches the shelves of the supermarket. And the impact of this is huge as well. Now, food waste for a country, it would be the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases 
after the states in China. So it's a huge problem environmentally that food waste is causing, where there's a lot of resources that go into producing the food. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, think about a country like the UK or the US, we import a lot of produce as well to satisfy the local demand and this availability across the year that Emily was mentioning earlier. So we get avocados coming in from Mexico and bananas coming in from South America. So imagine it takes about 100 liters of water to grow a kilo of bananas. And imagine the land use. Again, you're speaking in kilos and liters. I'm confused, but I get what you're saying. I get the, I get the ratio. Those are big numbers. Yeah. It's a big, so, yeah. so for example, in an odd box, which in a medium odd box, which is enough for a family of two, three people for a week, mm-hmm. it's the equivalent in water of 24 showers. 24 showers. Okay, yes. that's a good, that's a good example. Yeah. Got it. And you said that it's the third largest contributor to greenhouse gases, right. food waste. Yes. So that would be after, I guess, the agriculture, US and China. cows, right, would be yeah. probably number one, because I think that's like 30% of CO2. I don't know what number two would be, but it's up there is what you're saying. Correct. Yeah. Exactly that. Interesting. Yeah. And then how much would that box cost on average? You said you could feed a family of two or three. So it's around week. 13 pounds. 13 pounds. So it would be $16? Right. But to feed three people, two to three people for one week. Yes, in fruit and veg. Right. So Which is actually probably less money than going to the store and getting the equivalent, isn't it? It would be around the same as going to the store, right. but then there's the convenience of getting it delivered right to your door right. and also getting different produce every week. So there's a lot more variety because when you go to the store, you will buy the same thing week on week, whilst here people are challenged to eat a lot more in season. Yes. because that's what goes in our boxes, and also to experiment. And you have backgrounds in finance, but not logistics. No. How hard was it? I'm just thinking through, you're having to deal with the farmers, and I'm sure they have different levels of sophistication and understanding, as well as they probably like to do things the way they've always done things before. So some of them might be more modern-minded and progressive and open to these things, and others are like, get out of here. Absolutely. So you have to incent them, then you have to um, sort and you have a facility, you have to sort all the fruit and the produce and the vegetables, right. and then you have to actually deliver it and then keep track and have a back office. And that's probably where your IT knowledge comes in as well, because you have to build a system in order to track and manage this whole process. Correct. Yeah. So how did you learn that and how does all that work? Did I describe that in a layman's terms, mostly correctly, that those are all the things you have to deal with? No, you're, other things? you're absolutely right. I think so right now, we deal with over 70 growers as well as importers of produce uh, across the country. And we do a farm sweep every single week in terms of which growers have produce that they can't sell. And then we collect them into a farm sweep back into our facility, which is actually a go-packer now based in Kent, which is the next region, sure. next to London. And there they consolidate and then they would pack that into boxes every single week based on the orders that we have. On the back of that, we have a third-party logistics partner who then would distribute that to our customers. But going back a few years, and this alludes to some of the challenges that we had in the initial years, we would go to farmers and we'd say, we're here to help you sell produce that you can't necessarily sell. And for growers, as much as we thought we were helping them, it was additional effort to give us produce, mainly because our volumes were not great. We would go over and ask them, we've asked them for about 100 kilos or 200 pounds worth of, 200 pounds, um, of produce. And then this is extra effort in terms of labor. And for grower where 
unit economics are quite tight. Any extra labor on the line, segregating produce for us was extra money on, on you know given away. So they would rather that went into the ground or sent to landfill right. than giving it to us because we were too small. Like you said, their margins are so tight. Right? Exactly that, because they were the big retailers. They're always on the hook and the retailers are always looking at reducing their cost base. Yeah. It's understandable, but from a grower's perspective, it's all about tight margins and making it run smoothly. And this is a big challenge in the initial days for us to convert our first grower to say, hey, work with us because we're actually, the moment we get big, this would be of great benefit to you. You could essentially hedge your bets against big retailers, be able to sell the produce that you've spent. Right, because they're selling more of what they create. Exactly that. Yeah, right. it's, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of manual labor. I mean, you go to an apple orchard, for instance, it's still people picking these fruit manually. So uh, you go to an asparagus farm, it's people bent over picking or cutting the asparagus for eight hours a day. It's hard work. And to let that go to waste is quite hard to see from a grower's perspective. So that was quite hard. Initially, we were quite naive and we thought, right, surely we could buy the produce from the grower and they could ship it to us or they could deliver it to us. And again, we kind of assumed something which was not true. So the growers went, I'm happy to sell it to you as long as you pick it up. So it was literally me in my car visiting different growers, picking up produce, this was month three, and then switching over to a zip van, and then switching over to a rental van to collect the produce, and now we have big Arctic trucks. In. So you went out of pocket on your own to buy misshapen, ugly, weird produce without having a seller, somebody to buy it rather, a consumer at first, because you're taking that risk. You're taking on their inventory, because you're paying them for that, and ordinarily they would have thrown it away, so you're paying them for it because they're skeptical at first. And then you have a facility, I'm sure it was small at first, maybe it was your house or your apartment, and then you then had to then redistribute it to consumers. And you only have a certain amount of time. Yes, so the way we did it was we actually did a bit of marketing upfront right. and got people to sign up to a six weeks trial. I get it. Yeah. And then only once we had 20 people who signed up to the trial, that's when we went and got the produce. How much do you know about your consumer? Are they like the kind of hippy-dippy left save the world people? Was that where you started? And then are they becoming more mainstream? Because I feel like a lot of this is more mainstream now. It's funny you say that because initially when we started, we had this hypothesis that moms who care about obviously giving their families... Wholesome, organic. Wholesome, exactly. Plus having a kind of consciousness, kind of mindset. That was a hypothesis we went with. So we did Facebook moms groups, for instance. Yeah. But then over time, we've evolved. And now a key kind of demographic is the 25 to 34 year old young, mainly women who want to make an impact on climate change. And that is a key driving factor but also who want to have access to not so expensive produce delivered to their door. So convenience is a big uh, element of it. Climate change is certainly climate change and the will to reduce food waste is again underpinning all of it. But also buying produce that is not that expensive. I mean, if you look at organic veg boxes today, they are 30% more expensive than all boxes. So it suddenly puts them out of reach for a lot of the younger generation. So and I think people are becoming a lot more eco-conscious. So, and when we started, we thought we ourselves wouldn't mind buying this produce. So there has to be people like us right. who are not EPs, but who are just kind of normal people yeah. who are happy to... You're relatable. Yes. I could relate to you guys. Right. And it's like, yeah, I totally get that. 
I know there are equivalent types of services in the United States. Yes. Did you look at them as a model at first as well? And have you been in touch with them? And who are they, if you can just share that with our listeners? Yes, so there are three companies in the US who, in fact, two of them started just a year before us, and we took inspiration from their model. Mm -hmm. So Imperfect Produce started on the West Coast, and Hungary Harvest started on the East Coast, and there's now Misfit Markets, who's also on the East Coast. There's... And they've grown really rapidly as well. Right. So people in the U.S. are also very conscious of the fact that there's a huge amount of food waste and willing to do something about it. Have you figured out how to reduce the impact on the delivery itself and reduce that footprint, that carbon footprint? Yes. Like you have people on bikes delivering it. I mean, human-powered bikes, not motorbikes. But yeah. I imagine so, that's going to be something else you have to look at. So it's not uh, right now. Bike model doesn't work because of the weight of the boxes. Right. But what we are doing is that we deliver only one day a week in each area. Mm -hmm. So we kind of optimize the routes that our drivers will take. And also we deliver at night, so that really minimizes uh, because there's a lot of traffic in London. Uh, so it minimizes smart. the time and the number of waiting time that's at traffic signals. Right. So the trucks are very full, which is the whole point. Yes. And they're not going to idle as often because no. it's at night. And you're also saving on those congestion charges and surcharges that you get from yes. the city as, of London. As well. Exactly that. So right. drivers are twice as fast when they deliver. Yeah. So A, we're able to keep, obviously, air pollution and congestion to minimum. We're able to kind of negotiate a better cost for our customers, which we can then, you know, obviously, you know, for us, and obviously we can pass that on. And, you know, drivers are happy as well because they can much rather drive at night than in the morning. And for us, we see sustainability as not only the impact on the planet, but also as financial sustainability. So to be able to further our mission and tackle food waste at scale, we need to be financially sustainable. And so our mission is embedded in what we do. Mm -hmm. The more boxes we sell, the bigger the impact we can have. And we see that companies moving towards that model where it's not that you have to choose one or the other. And speaking of companies, do you just have consumer clients or do you also have corporates as clients now? Because I imagine that's a really good market. We just walked into my office and embarrassingly I showed you a box of beautiful fruit that we get delivered every Monday. And now I feel like we shouldn't be doing that anymore. And that's an opportunity right there. So we do deliver fruits for offices as well and some co-working spaces like we work, for instance. So there's quite a mix of clients. and so. A lot of our home customers work in offices and they're happy to recommend us to right. their office colleagues. So right. that's a great synergy there in terms of getting office customers as well. And are you worried about the retail threat? So I don't understand why Waitrose or Marks and Spencer or Tesco or one of those guys, why can't they just create a section in their stores? And maybe they're doing that now with ugly fruits and vegetables and with appropriate signage and storylines saying save the environment, help yourself, eat on season, not off season, that kind of a thing. That's a great point, actually. Uh, you make supermarkets are doing it. They sometimes have sections which says wonky wedge, but the pure focus there is on reduced price and it's not on the storytelling and why is the waste happening, which is where we have stepped away from the price argument, which is let's make this as cheap as possible to a more, let's not, don't buy as 
because we have value for money. Buy is because of we have values for money, which uh, is all about like that. fair price to growers, making sure we reduce food waste at a farm level, but also the work that we do with charities. So we redistribute um, the surplus that we have at Orange that we create to charities that fight food poverty, like City Harvest or the Felix Project. And that's a great model where, again, that's a perfect example of being sustainable, where we didn't have to go the extra mile to be sustainable. For us, it was a no-brainer. We had surplus and we didn't know what to do with it. We could pay more to get it, obviously, and we do that with our kind of waste that can, it's not fit for human consumption, so we send it to an AD plant. Right. But for the produce that is surplus and is absolutely fit for human consumption, but not perfect for our boxes, right. then that gets redistributed through these charities. So they have vans which come and pick it up every single week. And then that's sent to soup kitchens and the like. And that's a perfect one for us. So that whole value chain, we think comes at a cost. And that's why we can't be the cheapest of the lot, but we want all customers to buy us for the values that we're creating. And ultimately what you're trying to do is change the value chain and change the supply chain for the better. Exactly. I think there's two elements there. Yes, we saw an inefficient supply chain and we're creating value from that inefficient supply chain. But more importantly, I think we see this as a great opportunity to talk to people about what's happening behind the scenes at a farm level, uh, what's happening because of changes in season. You know, what happens when there's a warm winter? What happens when there's a really wet summer? That impact on food availability, I think customers would like to know that as long as things are made digestible and that's where we are looking to educate our customers about this as well at the same time as just selling fruit and veg. I think the challenge that supermarkets have is that they've created that impression that everything can be available all the time. For us, we decide what goes in our boxes. So And our bodies. Yes. Right. <laughs> so uh, our consumers can't pick and choose what they receive in their box. It's based on what's available at the time. So we align with what is being surplus or wonky. And therefore, we take advantage of the flushes in the sector at any point of time. While the supermarkets are the ones who actually drive the issue of food waste because they want to have everything available. Deepak and Emil work directly with growers and have gone to these farms to witness the labor process firsthand. The nature of the labor is seasonal. Workers come to UK farms during harvest season and return to their countries, typically in Eastern Europe, in the off-season. Workers live on the farms for six months, they're harvesting, and then return home. There are strict rules in place to ensure that these workers are treated fairly, but with the looming presence of Brexit, there's also a lot of uncertainty as to whether or not that will change. Because Oddbox is a subscription box service, Emil and Deepak have a better week-by-week understanding of what actually they'll need in terms of produce, as opposed to bigger retailers who adjust their orders just a few days before receiving the produce itself. Oddbox acts as a complementary model to the relationships the farmers have with big retailers because they help ease the burden of excess production. It's so interesting because several years ago, my wife and I signed up for something called the CSA. Do you have that here as well? Community service or community supported agriculture? No, we don't. That's a model which is quite specific to the U.S. To U.S. So it's not that dissimilar in some ways in that we have a subscription to a very specific 
farm in Westchester County, New York. No, sorry, we're in Westchester County, New York. The farm is a few hours away. And once a week, whatever it is that they produce, and you get what you get, you don't get upset. And it's whatever is in season, obviously. They bring to a local community center. In our case, it's the local temple in our town. And people subscribe to it, and we sign up for it. And it's like six, $700 for the whole season. And we can literally buy, and you know this, we get this lettuce, and it can sit not even refrigerated, it can sit in our home, in our kitchen for weeks and weeks because it's not sitting on a truck for weeks and weeks before it got to us. Yeah. And it tastes good, it tastes like it should taste and the tomatoes aren't pale and hard but they're ripe and red and delicious and you can't wait to eat it, you want to eat it. And you're introduced to new fruits and vegetables that you might not have. I had never had kohlrabi before. Yeah. I'm like, what is that? And it forces you to look it up and figure out how do I cook with this? Mm -hmm. You know, I've never had so much cabbage in my life, right? But it's good. It's really good. It's exactly, you're exactly right, Aaron. I think our customers, that's one thing they love about Oddbox, is the fact that they be essentially challenging them, or they are being challenged by produce that they would never usually buy. Because usually, I think we all do this, we go to a supermarket, we pick what we know, we don't pick the unknown stuff because we don't know how to cook it. Right. With us, uh, you are being challenged to be creative and also there's different you know nutritious value in different types of produce so i think our customers love it in fact some of them have mentioned that when they receive odd boxes like christmas every week mm -hmm. because there's this new box of goodies and it's it's really heartening to see that because you know it's just food and at the end of the day you could say it's just food and veg but people really passionate about the fact that it's aid helps them be creative, challenges them in the kitchen, but also more importantly, it helps them have a greater sense of purpose by reducing food waste and having an impact on climate change. So I think you're absolutely right. I think that whole element is, is quite customers. And sometimes it's even a family tradition. So some customers say that their children will run to the door on the morning after their hot box has been delivered to kind of look at what's in the box. And it's a way for them to educate their children on the different types of produce which exist, the season, and we always put a letter in the box which explains where the produce come from, why it's in the box, gives them tips and the recipes as well on how to use produce. Because it would be a real shame if we're all about fighting food waste, we don't want to create additional food waste in people's home. So we want to make sure that they know how to use all of the produce in the box. I'm gonna guess the box is made from recycled Cardboards. Cardboard yes. and all that, and then you give them some ideas on how to put it back into the recycling chain. We collect the boxes. You collect the box yes. and you so our drivers we collect the boxes on the next delivery, and these boxes are recycled and made into new odd boxes. I love that. And who's creating the recipes and things like that? Is it you guys? Is it friends of yours? Are you just Googling it and coming up with, I mean, there's so much information out there. Are you just kind of I think aggregating it? Or? I think that's again, we don't want to create new things. There's already, right. we just reuse what's already there. So right. we aggregate recipes and sometimes there are user-generated user recipes as well, which we then pull that together. Uh, but our customers come up with recipes, so we're happy to share that with right. Rest of the I feel like there's a marketing opportunity for you to come up with a holiday odd box recipe, digital recipe book or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, there's I think so the, much out there. In the future, I think what we want to do is help A, people understand, okay, here's a piece of vegetable. What can you do with it? So how do you cook it? Uh, can you roast it? Can you stir fry it? Right. And give them the initial... You know, or air fry it. Or air fry it, exactly. That's my, oh, I love I mean, the air fryer. What do you do fryer. with the cold gravy, right? I mean, right. you could put them and put it in a salad. You could mm -hmm. you know, stir fry it and so on. So, right. so I think giving them the initial tips of 
use this is a vegetable you've never cooked before this is how you could use it but recipes initially again aligns with us kind of sustainable ethos so let's not create something new let's use the resources that are already available so let's go maybe collate recipes that are on the net but in the future maybe yes creating our own recipes is absolutely uh, in the cards do you guys eat meat? Yes, we do. We've, though we've reduced our meat consumption a lot. So yeah. I think of being part of Outbox, but as well being a lot more aware of the impact of consumption on climate change, it's made us change our eating habits quite a lot. I think we're conscious and mindful. I think those are the two words I would, I would like to kind of bring to the table. Yes, we're aware of the challenges and issues that meat rearing and meat cultivation causes and fishing and seafood yeah. and it's all yeah exactly but at the same time i think it's about being conscious i think the same thing goes with i think you know, sometimes we forget that avocados importing them all the way from mexico and having a culture that almost makes that a superfood and everybody starts having a lot of avocados and what impact that has on the local domestic mm -hmm. economy and consumption is something to think about as well. Right. Same goes with cashew nuts now. In uh, almonds, the amount of water yeah. it takes exactly. to exactly. flood these almond fields is insane. Exactly. Yes, and yes. we're very aware of what's happening in California because of us around the world wanting yes. to eat more and more almonds. So I right. think it's, I don't think any diet is perfect. I think it's about kind of, uh, the balance. And sometimes we go too much one way or the other, right. fully uh, kind of vegan or fully uh, having a kind of unsustainable diet of eating too much meat and overall eating too much. So we've but, definitely but, reduced yeah. our... But your timing, honestly, is just so perfect. It is a perfect storm because of the plant-based movement, yeah. the kind of the reawakening around being more sustainable from a environmental standpoint sure. and the rise of subscription boxes. Those three things in particular are tailwinds for you. Yeah, I think we've been really lucky. That's, no, that's not luck, come on. I, I think there's <laughs> an element of luck. So yeah. I think for any business, yes, there's an element of kind of being in the right place at the right time. Obviously, it's not easy to start a business. And the idea is just oh, one thing, yeah. kind of bring it up from an idea to kind of uh, actually doing it and packing. At the start, we were packing all the boxes ourselves, delivering sure. everything ourselves. So it's a lot of work that we never realized, we didn't realize initially how hard it would be. And I think maybe if we had been from the fresh produce industry, we might have never started. So there's an element of being from outside of the industry, being naive about the sector, naive about what it takes to build a business from scratch, which kind of makes yeah. makes you uh, continue. But also makes you unaware of the of the challenges and the pitfalls, like yeah. you say, rightly said, but also puts a, you think about things in a different way, about how things have never been done that way. And that puts a fresh spin on things. So you almost challenge in a constructive way how the, the industry works and how we could make that better. Not to prove a point, but almost how to make that better. So I think that's, I suppose, in a way, through entrepreneurship where people sometimes are from outside the industry come into a they right. call it disruption. And I, I don't like that word too much, but it is really coming and looking at industry and saying, how could we do that better? Yeah, um, and I don't think that what you're doing is disruption. I think it's back to the future because it's, it's going back to how we should be eating. Yeah. I've mentioned this on other shows, but I watched this show called Game Changers on Netflix. I don't know, have you seen it? Yes, we have, yes. That 
Sometimes you'll watch something, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, and you'll be moved for a day, an hour, and then you kind of go back to your old way of doing things. I watched it two weeks ago, and ever since I've watched it, I know I can never be 100% plant-based. I can't, because I love meat too much, mm -hmm. and I love seafood. But what I can do is be two-thirds plant-based. Yeah. So now, and for two weeks now, I've never felt better. I'm not going to be the strongest man in the world like that guy, or be sure. Arnold Schwarzenegger. But two-thirds of my meals, my three meals a day, are plant-based or vegetarian, but mostly plant-based. I try not to have any animal product in two. And then one meal, it's anything goes. And I think that's good. I think that's positive. That blood test where they show the plasma after a meat-based meal versus a plant-based meal, that is what moved me. And even though I know it was a sample of three NFL players, whatever, yeah. that was crazy. So yesterday I'm in Marks and Spencer, and I'm searching and searching for something to eat. And they have a couple of, I forget the name of it, something kitchen where it's like a vegan based prepackaged foods, yeah. but everything in there is garbage. It's crap. It's all processed mm. and it might be quick, but it's not healthy and I'm not going to feel well. So I ended up just buying a kind bar because it's easy. And I know that it's plant-based and it's wholesome. It's processed. Yes, but it's the closest thing I can get to natural. And I just couldn't, I was too hungry to eat just fruits and vegetables. You know, and I didn't have time because I'm in the office. Yeah. So I think there's a huge movement right now that's making people rethink their choices. And I think for us, it's, that's what you're saying, Aaron. It's about that positive, taking that small positive step. It's not about doing things perfectly, but it's at least doing one thing which will move the dial. And right. for people buying hot boxes, doing that one thing, which it's fruit and veg, people know it's healthy. They know that it's food which would go to waste and therefore they are doing that right. small step towards being more sustainable. At the same time, it's convenient. It's not more expensive. Mm -hmm. So we need to make sustainability easy Otherwise, people won't do it. So exactly. like you're saying, if in the supermarket, there's no options to eat better, then right. people won't eat better. No, no. So just speed round, just kind of curious. What is your favorite fruit or vegetable and your least favorite fruit or vegetable? In terms of vegetables, I love cauliflower. Not as a steak. I like right. it roasted. <laughs> right. In terms of fruit, persimmons. So it's something that I had never eaten before coming to the UK. I don't know if you've tried it. It's like kind I of an exotic no. fruit that you find a lot in the winter. So and, you can and what's your least favorite? You I have can. to have one. Come on. I I'll give you an like example. I like a lot of things. My nemesis is eggplant. Ah. I've tried. Last night I had eggplant, but it was rubbed in like a hot chili sauce with peanuts and a little bit of like yogurt underneath it in a friend's restaurant. It was delicious. But I have to, it really needs to be like prepared the right way. Otherwise the texture really bothers me. But my favorite is avocados. I love avocados. I know it's very millennial of me, even though I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a millennial. So I, I would say maybe carrots is my least favorite. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you there. Yeah. I like them cooked better than raw. Yeah. Okay, how about you, Deepak? Yeah, likewise, actually, eggplant is not my most nice. favorite. Right. <laughs> I knew we'd like each other. <laughs> uh, it's just because I think you're right. I think it's just a, it's a texture uh, thing. I think it's sort of bitter if it's not cooked properly and things yeah. like that. So it, it's a bit of a hit and miss. Uh, right. Marmite, as they call it in this country, you can either love it or you My wife it. loves Marmite. Oh, That's her okay. comfort food. 
her parents are British, so she grew up with it. There yeah. you go. I think that most of a vegetable has to be, I mean, I just like potatoes and I'm just a simple guy. I mean, ah, I, yeah, of course. It's just yeah. so versatile. So I, yeah. I, I like that about potatoes and it's always available in this country. So uh, it's a yep. lot of potatoes in this country. So I can't go wrong with that. Potatoes saved my mom. I mean, she's a Holocaust survivor and she went from Austria to Ireland, actually. And most of her, teen, her years from maybe six years old to 18, most of her diet was potatoes. Mm. It has everything. Yeah. So there you go. Listen, it was great having you. I, we could keep going. I mean, this is such a fascinating topic. What's the best way to follow you on Instagram and yep. other social channels? Instagram, there's a lot of stories that we post, lots of uh, weird photos of uh, fruit and, and this is just Oddbox? Oddbox LDN. L okay, LDN, right. Okay. So London, yeah, short sure. for London. The proper yes. way of saying the short. Exactly, the call letters for London. Correct. Right. Or oddbox.co.uk mm -hmm. uh, as a website where you can find and buy food. And, and who knows, maybe there'll be an oddbox.com or .us one day. At well, some point, yes. Yes, yes. yes. That is, I would say we won't completely rule it out now. Okay, when you make that decision, we should talk some more. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having, thanks again for having thanks us. Thanks for having us. Thanks again for being on. Thank you. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quickkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the voice you never hear, producer extraordinaire Lindsay Hand, and the always on point associate producer Katrina Walkley, who touches every aspect of this podcast. Learn more about our show at brandonpurpose.com. Follow our Instagram at the Bop Podcast. And learn more about our host at AaronQuicken.com. Mm -hmm.